0: Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH.
1: That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters, Scott Hansen. Pat McLean, thanks for joining us. That's right. We are halfway through the year. Yes, 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 yes. I don't know if I'm just getting. Oh, I don't want to be one of those guys. Time goes by so fast. You know, when I was young. <laughs> kids nowadays. Kids now. What's that music they listen to? Anyway, both myself and my co-host here, before we start going down in tangents that we typically do, uh, we're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, charter financial consultant, um, and um, we're here talking about financial matters, taking some calls, and... Having so, a little fun with the program. Questions about 401Ks, investments,
2: taxes, taxes, taxes. Um, I want to think about taxes mid-July.
1: This is exactly when you should be thinking about that. You should be thinking about taxes all the time. You know, it's hilarious. So my 27-year-old daughter, it's fun watching your kids grow up, right? Because when they start paying their own taxes, and so she's self-employed. So she does quarterly taxes. So she feels it. Yes. And so this is a couple of weeks ago. Hey, she... One of the things I appreciate, she's 27, she'll reach out for business advice quite frequently. So, Dad, can you help me figure out the quarterly taxes? So I'm explaining how the concept works for these quarterly taxes. This is just stupid, she (laughs) says. I'm like, yeah, well, no one says taxes are, you know, there's some, like, great plan that someone sat down and let's figure out the best system of taxation. It's all been a conglomeration of a hundred years of taxes. Scott. And uh, later on the show, I want to talk
2: about this. I was in Norway visiting relatives and they have a wealth tax there, a wealth tax. And
1: which is, I was
2: talking to a business owner and he told me exactly how it works. And it just, um, I, I was like, "This is unbelievable how 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 it works." And So let's talk about I that. I thought language.
1: Norway is like one of the happiest countries on the planet.
2: Oh yeah, they,
1: they <laughs> s- s- <laughs> most of them, most of them, <laughs> except for the employers. Anyway, um, well, well
2: uh, remind me, we're going to talk about uh, because that is a tax, and and there's proposals for wealth taxes. No, I do want um, to hear about that. Yeah, it's, so uh, it's a
1: relatively small country, right? Seven million people, y-
2: y- or something. and it's completely homogenous.
1: Do they have not? Do they don't have any immigration issues uh, like the rest v- of Europe? Very, very. Yeah, they just close them off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very few, <laughs> and a lot of oil.
2: But so, um, when we talk about taxes, back to taxes, we should be thinking about taxes in your portfolio all the time, all year long. I know, all year long. So we're gonna we're gonna get to that. Talk a little bit more about taxes, and then I'll share a little bit of my views of talking to business owners in Norway about a wealth tax, um, which I found just. Anti-growth and
1: perplexing. Yeah. Anyway, we've got um, Andy Stout, our chief investment officer, is going to be joining us right now and chatting a little bit about what's happening in the economy. And then we'll take some calls and have some fun on the program. So let's talk with Andy Stout. Andy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So uh, I read I read just the last week that Powell said it could take years to get inflation under control. Well, something along those lines. Yes, and not even – pre pandemic just
2: to what he would consider, I've read it a couple of places, a reasonable reasonable uh inflation rate. Your thoughts?
3: He's probably right. Uh if you look at where inflation is right now, it's still elevated and it is relatively entrenched. or embedded in the economy. And it's probably going to take some time to uh, get that back down to what the Fed targets is a 2% inflation rate. I mean, we've certainly seen some improvements in the supply chain. Energy isn't really a factor. But if you look underneath a little bit, what you see is that the interest rate hikes that Chair Powell has done haven't truly been felt by the economy because there's a lag effect. I meaning it takes a while to really get in there. And then you got to take get into consideration that employers, they've had a hard time finding employees. So they're reluctant to let them go, even though they see the writing on the wall that the economy is slowing down. That adds to some uh, wage inflation, and that just keeps inflation more in front of our minds and in the economy. So yeah. It's gonna take some time.
2: So so when when you say that, right, so there I, I can see it from an employer standpoint, which is, hey, if I, I bet that it's gonna slow, the economy's gonna slow and I lay people off now, or you know, get rid of uh, ask underperformers to leave, I'm if the economy doesn't slow, I'm gonna be stuck,
1: right? Um and the economy doesn't seem to have slowed much, right? And it right? doesn't seem to have slowed much.
2: So would that lead to, if the economy does slow, do you think that would lead to mass layoffs? It, it, would it all of a sudden like turn on a dime and we'd see, like we've seen in the tech sector, a significant downsizing? Although the tech sector hasn't had a significant downsizing. They've just been large numbers as a percentage. It hasn't been significant. Would we expect to see that, uh, a shrinkage in the employment?
3: I mean, you would see some for sure, absolutely. The question, though, is how much – I mean, if you just think about the past couple of years in the post-COVID world, you hear about all of these job openings, like 1.7 job openings to the number of unemployed people where employers just cannot find people to work. So they may be more reluctant this time around to let those workers go than just – you know, suck it up with, you know, higher expenses, lower margins, because they know it will eventually pass. And then when the economy recovers, they don't have to go and find those workers again. They already have them there. They might be judging whether or not it's more beneficial to keep the workers for now or rather than trying to find new ones later.
1: Well, one thing we know, whatever market cycle is going to come is going to come and it's going to then be over and We'll have another market cycle, and that will end in a new market. <laughs> so, uh, it's, I mean, no one can predict these things. He, and, like, Andy, anyway, I appreciate we just did the uh, quarterly uh, recap that you can find on our website if you don't have subscribed to our newsletter and goes through the last quarter. But um, all the predictions about inflation so, and where the economy is going, and no one gets it right. And, and
2: that's a question I have is at the very beginning of this, when they talked about a uh, number of uh, people talked about, even in the Fed, that it was – in inflation was going to be transitory um we we said on this on this program itself we doubt it's transitory because uh if uh, a producer can increase their prices <laughs> uh they they're reluctant to lower them again relatively they're going to test uh the the, the supply and demand the resiliency yes. of the consumer w- where was, was that wishful thinking? In your opinion, was that wishful thinking at the time? Do you think they really believe that was was it? Or were they completely off base by using this term transitory?
3: Well, in hindsight, they were off base, but I think at the time it was so much emphasis on the supply chain disruptions, where the Fed's thinking was, well, once the supply chain heals, these temporary prices from the raw inputs you know, will start to at least normalize a bit. And the supply chain problems drug out a lot longer, and that just fed onto itself, causing more and more problems. So yeah, the Fed I don't think you'll ever hear them use the word transitory uh, again. again. <laughs> uh, it's it's a, it's a four-letter word now from the Fed's perspective. Yeah,
2: and actually, I think that was the first time we had ever heard it uh, from the Fed. Yeah, well, that was a political spin term, wasn't it? Uh, it might have been. Yeah. It's well,
3: just a fancy word to say temporary. That's all yeah, it is.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, so we expect some uh, rate increases in the near future, middle future, distant future, all of the above.
3: <laughs> yes, to answer your question. Uh so just to go back a second ago, you were talking about how people can never get uh predictions correct. I'll tell you, I was uh doing a seminar last week and I got one correct. I was asked if there was going to be a recession. And I said yes. I didn't have to give any time frame. That's right. So, right. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> but so from and Andy Rachel, in the last we have just another moment or two here, but it let's assume that we have a recession. What's that mean for long in long-term investors? Historically, what have we seen?
3: Historically, you do see stock markets decline prior to the beginning of a recession by a few months. Uh, But every single time, the markets have have recovered. And if you can pick that exact top in the market because recession is on the horizon – good luck to you. Uh, I will tell you, though, leading economic indicators, which are data points that move before the broad economy moves, they've been signaling for a recession for a while now. I mean, the yield curve has been inverted for a couple of years. So when you try to even time things based on that, I mean, you could have missed out on some pretty large gains. I mean, the market's had a pretty good start to the year so far, had a little bit of roughness last year. Uh, But trying to You know, time that exact top, and then when to get back in, it's not going to pan out too well for most investors. Most people are much better off just riding the cycles, making sure you got the right mix of stocks and bonds and cash in your portfolio, so you can sleep at night and weather the storm and enjoy the recovery. Yeah,
1: and making sure you've got enough money that's not tied to riskier assets that are. I don't say risky, the volatile assets, yeah. things that fluctuate in price. Make sure you have enough cash to meet your needs in the next couple of years. So right? you're not selling into a down market. Right. Yeah. We'll okay. ride it out. So, hey, Andy, thanks for taking um, some time. Appreciate your time and appreciate you, you. Uh, being a team member at Allworth. Yeah, and our chief investment officer. Have a great, guess uh, 4th of July is coming, so. Yes, enjoy that. You know, essentially with with inflation. So I graduated high school in 1984. You were what? At 81. Okay. So uh, that's when inflation was high, but it didn't really mean much to me as a young person. Um, I remember my parents, my mom would go to different grocery stores because she would complain the price would go up day after day. But but that essentially then through college, and then I entered this industry in 1990, and since that time, we've had a relatively low inflation, but it's always been an issue With our clients, like particularly if you're going into retirement, inflation can be the silent killer on you, right? Because if you don't have – if you're not structured well for inflation, you're going to get poorer and poorer as time goes. Your purchasing power is going to drop. Right. If you have a pension with no cost of living adjustment – yeah, you'll feel good about your accounts
2: because they're yielding more because if you're in fixed income, you're going to look at that. Which is like, right now, right? Right, right? you're going to look oh, at look that. look I'm making some money on my CD now. I'm doing this, look how great I am, but your real purchasing power going is going backwards. backwards, which is really what you're interested in is purchasing power
1: for your money. And the reality is we are probably in an era... Well, we're clearly have inflation with us right now, and probably in an area where we're going to have higher inflation in the next 20 years than we had the last 20 years. Oh, you would think so. The last 20 years have been – well, obviously,
2: uh, since the Great Recession, I I just think that the the interest rates have actually
1: been too low. Well, we're seeing a lot of the hangover from (laughs) that,
2: Right? (laughs) Even during the time, you're like, how how could – it, what happens is when the supply of
1: money becomes so cheap, decision making becomes poor. poor. <laughs> right. You <laughs> see that with startups, where they have tons of cash, they do all kinds of crazy things because they don't. There's not. Doesn't really matter because money's free. Yeah. Yeah. And p- same thing with personal. With the humans, we make those hand mistakes. Yeah. Yes. Mortgage rates so cheap, you end up buying yes. a house that's probably bigger than you really can. Because you look at the monthly payment. Yeah. Until How you can have to you get, miss? So you have to get your roof replaced. Right. <laughs> All right, let's uh, take some calls. Uh, 833-99-WORTH is the number. If you want to join us, we'd love to take your call. We're in Ohio talking with Paula. Paula, you're with All Money Matters.
4: Hi, Scott. Hi, Pat. Love your show. Thank you. listen to the podcast every week. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, I'd like to uh, ask a couple of questions about withdrawal strategies from our investment income. Uh, currently, we have... Um, a, and be, really
1: before before you start what you know Go is what's, when you bring that up, I was just thinking a withdrawal strategy is so unique to the individual and the family. like if you had if you had retired from the same company, it was five colleagues and had relatively similar lives, your withdrawal strategies could be completely unique to one another. So mm-hmm. tell us about your situation.
4: Um okay, my husband is seventy three and I am sixty three. We're both retired. We have a little bit over four million in investments. Um, currently, about sixty percent equities, forty percent fixed. Um, our gross income, without withdrawals every year between Social Security and pensions, uh, is around ninety-two thousand dollars. And um, we're pretty big spenders right now because we're traveling a lot, and we, you know, spent all our lifetime savings. So. We spend about 225 to 240 a year, and a big chunk of that, of course, is travel. Right now, is
2: that, is that pre-tax or net a tax?
4: Uh, which which number? The
2: 225.
4: Oh no, that's uh, that's after tax.
0: Okay. Right.
4: Okay. So um, historically, what I've done, I've been retired for about six, or no longer actually, about nine years. My husband's longer than that, and I have always taken out of my brokerage account. So, I think what's what I what I'm focused on or concerned about is of that four million. About six hundred thousand of that is in a brokerage account. Two point seven million is in my IRA, and the five hundred and eighty that's remaining is in my husband's IRA. So, even though with the Secure Act I don't have to withdraw with an RMD until I'm seventy five, that's twelve yeah. years away. Um, in the past, I've always taken out of the, my brokerage account and just paid taxes yeah. and, <clears throat> on the capital gains. Yep. <laughs> but I'm getting a little nervous about that number increasing in mine, and um, I think I missed the window to do Roth IRA conversions already. So um, uh, I'm wondering if I should start withdrawing slowly from my IRA in addition to taking capital gains. So how much now,
2: the, are so ahead. how much are you actually uh on that brokerage account? So you've got $92,000 in gross uh income from your pensions and social security. So Correct. in order to get to the 225, you're probably drawing out 2 and a quarter uh, well, a year out of the brokerage. Well, my husband
4: has to take RMDs. Okay. So you know, that's been another 30 every year and this okay. year it'll be around 21,000. Okay. So I kind of want to make up that money and i'm I'm trying to contemplate I'm talking to my accountant should i should I be taking you know my capital gains take some out of brokerage and, and then you know
1: how many how much capital gain have you been realizing the last couple of years on an annual basis um
4: let's see I've been anywhere from uh, twelve thousand up to fifty so,
1: so 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 some years you've probably paid no capital gain tax because you could have as a married couple, you can have about $90,000 of adjusted gross income before there's any capital gain tax. And if your gross income is 92000 um you figure out standard deduction, you've, you probably, you've probably had about 20000 or so of capital gains with zero tax on yeah. it. Yeah. So you most mm-hmm.
2: certainly should be pulling out of your IRA. Okay. Uh, the question is how much? And it looks like I, I, you know, I wish you had called the show a couple of years ago. Me um, too. <laughs> what, what, whatever. I and this goes out
4: window for those <laughs> conversions. Yep.
2: No, well, it, it, you might have the you know, conversion or not conversion. You may have been better off in years past, and that's what you know. When we started the program, we talked about tax, 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 tax should always be on your mind in your investment portfolio. That's funny. Right? We did yeah, right, right. <laughs> not knowing that this call was coming. Um, but, this but, is but an the example. reality is we've
1: got around $20,000 of capital gain that we're t- we have zero taxable income on, uh, zero capital gain tax. If we either take a withdrawal from the IRA or do a, some Roth conversion or combination of the both, then we're going to be paying ta- 15% capital gain tax. So,
2: but I'm looking out multiple. I
1: understand. I'm just multi- throwing that one thing that's out. That's right. And it's. We're, it's a very small amount, 20000 That's right. Yeah. We're
2: looking out multiple years. So there's only – if a if if brokerage account was larger today other than 600000 you want to use that brokerage account for tax strategies around the yeah, edges. absolutely,
1: Right? So – Yeah, $3.3 million in, in retirement plans that all have to be taxed one day.
2: Yeah. So my guess mm-hmm. is that you're probably going to end up pulling $200,000 a year out of that IRA. And maybe I would actually use the husband's IRA first no i would use your ira save so you less less required minimum distribution less required we have more flexibility down the road
1: yes i would i would you i would obviously have got to do required minimum distributions on him i'd probably just do the required minimum on him
4: and that's I, what i was planning this year and so yeah, so yeah so the, the answer to your question is you okay so, absolutely... so she got 21
1: th- did you you didn't have a required minimum distribution last year is that correct
4: Yes, he did because okay. he'd, he'd already been
1: 72. And your, your gross income of 92000 does that include the required minimum distribution from his IRA? No, that does
4: not. Okay.
1: So, so what I just discuss, discussed about capital gain taxes, it's, that, it's a it, mute point because we're already at the point where – So you, to go through the analysis, the answer to your question is yes, the money
2: should come from the IRA. Uh, in fact, um, you use that brokerage account around the edges to stop yourself from going into a higher marginal rate. But my guess is, if you sit down and did the analysis, in order to get to what your income needs are, which by the way, two hundred thousand on four million, easy, easy number. So the distribution as a percentage is fine, especially if you've got a sixty forty portfolio. Then the question is, how much from that IRA? Um, my guess is it's going to be between one seventy five and two and a quarter. Scott.
1: Uh, probably because you don't want to get to the point where you draw down that brokerage account to where it's six hundred. Now it's four hundred. Now it's two hundred, and now you're thinking. I mean, here's the reality, right? So I appreciate the fact you guys are living your life. Oh, <laughs> you're sixty three. Your husband's seventy three. Very statistically strong chance that he's going to predecease you. Right mm-hmm. now, my guess is you're both in pretty good health. That's why you're out traveling. At Correct. some point in time, that's going to deteriorate. That's how life works, right? Let's. Um, yep. And so I think it's I think it's wise that you're uh, enjoying doing what you want to do today. Um, but but I I, think, if it takes you, th- it's probably taking three hundred thousand a year of of gross income. That's right. And to so generate that, what, which is what what I would do
2: is uh, I would work it up to the twenty four percent marginal rate before it hits to the thirty two. Okay. And, and so and what don't, what
4: don't concern myself with Irma because. You know, I'll get bumped up in Irma yep. for him. Yeah, if you want, with-
2: if you want to, if you want to worry about that, but you're worrying about the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Right? We had this conversation with someone that oh, called well, the show a week or
1: two, uh, a couple
2: we- weeks ago. Which is, he was so focused on this one thing, he missed the big picture. You couldn't see uh, the forest through the trees. Right? Just focused on this one thing. That Irma, look, y- y- you're going to pay it. Too bad. Oh, right. <laughs> too bad what we're talking about is tax ramifications You've got over your 3 lifetime. million
1: that you could that's going to be taxed somewhere between 22% and. to 37% assuming tax rates don't go higher in the future for higher income and if you don't touch your IRA by the time you hit your required minimum distribution at 75 I mean, it's going to at least double by then, right? Now, so now we're talking about five million dollars required minimum mm-hmm. distribution, a couple hundred thousand just under required minimum distribution.
2: Yeah. So, it, without sitting down and doing the analysis, my guess is it's going to be between one seventy-five, maybe even two fifty, uh, coming from the IRA. And what you want to do is try to keep it in the twenty-four percent or lower marginal tax rate. Okay. Right. Um, by the way, uh, beneficiaries on the IRA, who are they?
4: Um the beneficiaries um he's mine, I'm his, and then it goes to our trust.
1: And are do you have children?
4: Yes. One child, one grandchild, one great grandchild. Okay. Perfect.
1: And by the way, so the 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 Irma, which is how much extra we have to pay for Medicare for married filing jointly, if your uh just gross income is roughly under two hundred thousand, you just pay the whatever the standard part B premium is, which is whatever it is.
4: yeah i think it's 190 or something yeah. was the number yeah
1: if it's between 200 and 250 you pay 1.4 times that amount if it's between 250 and 320 you pay 2 times that amount
2: which is the marginal tax if people right. focus on this Irma so much what we're
1: we're thinking i'm thinking about taxes over your lifetime yeah so we're so let's call it 100 and 200 bucks each so you're paying $400 Right, So let's assume we're you, you had it so your income was up to 320000 and instead of paying 400 bucks, a year. So you'll end up paying about $5,000 more a year in income taxes. But when you've got $3.3 million that over a third of it can be taxed, over a million dollars in taxes we're talking. So we're trying to balance those two. And that's your point, Pat. It's like don't spend too much time focusing on that. Uh, I've had this
2: conversation with clients, which is –
1: Look, if you want... Well, no one likes paint. Well, and, and, oh, of course it's, And you can have people with very high net worths that their income's under 200000 right? Oh, yes. Like like we're seeing here. Yes. Very common in retirement. Yes. But
2: as a client once told me, they always fly first class because they know when the kids get the money, they will. <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right.
2: So what, what great trips uh, have you gone on? What's the best trip you've ever been on?
4: Uh, um, truthfully, we're in love with Alaska.
2: Oh, I do. Like um, the we're going to go
4: again next year, third time. Yes. I mean, we loved. Uh, we've done a lot of the national parks. I mean, we have just the most beautiful national parks oh, here.
1: Do you have a motorhome?
4: No, we don't. Oh, you don't hey, so, and-
1: so there's a great
2: book called. That's uh, <laughs> uh, uh, read every book I've read. next life you should be a librarian. Great lodges of national parks, and they actually talk about the history of the lodges of the national par- lodges in national parks. So, Crater Lake, Yellowstone, Zion. All uh, national parks, these great lodges, great beautiful uh, coffee table book. If you haven't read it, pick it up. You'd be right down, right in your wheelhouse.
4: Oh, great! Thank you for the call. Mm-hmm. Take my call. Thank you for the information. Oh, thanks,
1: Paula. Thank you appreciate you, Paul. okay, <laughs> I appreciate the call. Bye bye. I love going to national parks, but they tend to be so, like in the main areas, they're so crowded in the summertime. Yes. And they're not building lodges like they used to build. No, That probably not. is kind of an interesting hit. They're all about 100 years old, right? Oh, they're, yeah. They're and they're be- all these big, beautiful log Yeah, I've stayed structures. in many of them. <laughs> okay. You've, okay. Of course you have, Pat. Oh, no, in addition that. to your travels to Norway and the... Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> other northern European countries. <laughs> okay, are you done? <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, like... I, well, I've lived in the Sacramento region 30 years. Um, Yosemite is a less than three-hour drive. And I've met people that have never been there. They've lived here their entire lives. And I'm thinking, if look, if, and if you don't have the money to stay for, like, get just up just at 4.30, drive down, enjoy the day, and drive home. Drive By the way,
2: the, Awani, uh, the Lodge at the Iwani in the National Park in Yosemite, fabulous.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, you think
2: so? Yeah, right. not the rooms themselves, just the, the right. open spaces. Yeah, I agree with common that. Common areas.
1: Uh, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of
0: Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to
1: the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, I'm Pat McLean.
2: Thanks for sticking with us. Um, although if you're a podcast, I don't know where you would have gone. Um. So went to Norway. Well, it could have dropped off. That's true, in which case it wouldn't matter. <laughs> so, um. So every year I do a family vacation. My kids are all out of the house and live in different areas. And, and I have found that if you really want to spend some quality time with your adult children, um, they will show up for... um. A, well, a trip to Europe. Come on. That's pretty yeah, nice. Yes, yes. With. And so um my wife and i you don't always do the big trips like that though you no no yeah. no, no uh yeah i mean in the states too but this we wanted uh, my wife's brother lives in norway and we have never visited him there and he's lived there for 30 years <laughs> and so you don't always do these big trips <laughs> that's <today>. right <laughs> and so uh and i have t- a niece and a nephew that that live there so uh my my wife and i and two of my children went uh, to Norway, and then the others joined us uh, in Iceland for a couple of days uh, as they could only get so much time off. So I was in Norway, and my um, nephew and niece, uh, one works in banking, the other is a business owner, and his mother, they're my brother-in-law and his ex-wife, but my nephew's mother runs a fairly decent-sized company in Norway. And, and so I was asking about this wealth tax
1: And they described it to me. How wealthy do you think this family was? Uh, And what's the relation again? You lost me so So it's my My brother-in-law. Your wife's
2: brother's. Children. And his ex-wife owns a a business together. So the kids and mom own a business together. Successful business. It's been in the family for 35 years.
1: Multi-generation business. Got it, got it, got
2: it. Started in the fishing industry and moved into other areas. What kind of fish? I'm I'm joking now. My guess would be God. (laughs) So um, anyway, uh, upper 10%. 10%. But my nephew, I was asking about the wealth tax, and he said the wealth tax on businesses is a predetermined formula based on revenues and assets and has nothing to do with profitability or EBITDA, earnings before income taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Nothing to do with it. So I said... What happens if you have a bad year? They borrow money in order to pay the wealth tax. And this is how they described it. So it's a formula that
1: you would think that... I'm thinking you're you're a business. You get later in the year. It's now October. You're thinking, I'm not going to have much in the way of profits this year. I've got this tax due. Um the only way to reduce my taxes is just to lower my revenue. I'm going to go to my big customer and say, hey, can we hold off on delivery from December till January? So,
2: And there is a little bit of a profit component, but it's not the major component. So they, there's a formula that is applied to your companies that does this wealth tax. And so he said, what happens is that businesses start in Norway, but they don't grow in Norway. <laughs> They move to other European countries that don't have a wealth tax. So he says it really stifles innovation in Norway itself because of this wealth tax. So to the point: are that— Are there
1: any big Norwegian companies? Oh yeah, Norwegian oh absolutely.
2: Uh, yeah, no, there are. There are very. There's some very, very large Norwegian, but it's not a very big country either. I mean, global
1: uh, companies out of Norway. Uh,
2: yeah, there's a number of them. Um, That are still domiciled Um, in Norway.
1: I can't think of any. Yeah,
2: uh, Hanson. Well, it's not a big one, but Hanson Healy is there, um, which is (laughs) ski clothing, ski clothing, (laughs) outdoor clothing. Um, But the uh, but (laughs) expensive clothing. What what? what, There's a couple other ones, but most of their revenue, fifty. 8% 8% of their exports have something to do with oil. I mean, it is blessed with oil.
1: That's how they can get away with doing, losing companies because they right. got all this oil.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: Do they have something like the fund that Alaska had or has? Or, uh, they do. Yeah, where well, you're, you're resident. I mean, think so of well, all the... Yeah, but the
2: taxes are... I mean, the taxes... It's a very expensive country to live in. The taxes are quite high, but... I tell you, it's absolutely beautiful. The roads are perfect. The transit system's perfect. That I mean, it is... There's no homeless. You could see... And so we talked about socialism. It's too cold to be homeless in Norway. Okay. Well, it was beautiful when I was there. <laughs> it didn't rain? Anyway. Uh, yeah, it rained a little bit. But... I just when when because there's prop proposals in California to start a wealth tax, and I thought to myself,
1: well, and there was a national stage until a couple. We haven't heard much in the last. This couple can take years, but so it's many. It's going to pop back up. This can take so many different flavors.
2: So when people say wealth tax, I always thought, well, they're going to tax someone's value of their portfolio, but then I start thinking what's the value what's the value and what if you don't have the liquidity and what happens if um are you if your value of your portfolio falls let's say start a company and the government decides it's worth 100 million and then the next year it's worth 50 million could you go back and recapture those taxes that you paid and the answer in norway according to my nephew is no
1: no no it once it's paid it's paid so your profits are declining Let's say, you're, let's say your costs are skyrocketing or whatever. So your profits are shrinking and shrinking. Your revenue number is still there. Maybe it's down a bit, but it's still, you're paying a, a, a tax. So, your business is slowly
2: dying. That, that's right. But, but once again, it's not all revenue. There's other parts. It's assets and profitability. But a, But you cannot make money. You can be losing money and still pay a tax on your wealth. And I'm like, how do they come up with the money? If I am a small
1: businessman, how do I come up with the money? It's like the banks lend it. This reminds me, Pat, of – this is probably 10 years ago. I was in Spain. (laughs) Sound like he's Well, look, just for the listeners, (laughs) I didn't grow
4: up
2: with a silver spoon. (laughs) No. No, no. And uh, I waited tables all the way through college. So I'm not apologizing. We camped
1: as kids and – if we were lucky, the, like last night, we'd stay at a Motel 6. We'd I mean, be living the dream, man. Yeah. Living the dream. So I'm not apologizing to anyone <laughs> So my, I my point is, nice So I was on a, it was a cycling trip in Spain and uh, there was a young woman who was our guide. She was th- early 30s or something and I was talking to her and she was had a degree in uh, graphic design. And she was doing, uh, well, she said some freelance work, but she quit doing the freelance work because she couldn't afford to do it anymore. And I mean, it's like, what do you mean you couldn't afford to do it? Like, I'm thinking you're a leader on a biking trip, so you probably enjoy that doing that for lifestyle reasons. Why couldn't you just do a little... On the side, yacht, whatever. five hours a week or whatever, right? Uh, doing some graphic design to people you know. That's the kind of thing that happens in the U.S. And she says, well, if you're self-employed, you have to pay a self-employment tax. I said, well, we have self-employment taxes in the U.S. as well, based upon your your profit. And she says, no, it has nothing to do Whether you have any revenue or not, if you sign up to be self-employed, you have to write a check every month because it covers some of your benefits, like your medical. So automatically, you're writing a check to the government, whether or not you have any clients, any income, any revenue, any profit. So she says, "So I can't afford to be a free... And I'm thinking, in Spain, I I don't know what what it is today, but at the time, if you look at the unemployment rate of those under 30, it was like... Thirty percent. I mean, it was astronomical. And tax codes stifled innovation. It stifled in a massive way.
2: Not only innovation, motivation, in a massive way. And so, when we think about taxes, there's a degree of social engineering that goes into all our taxes. Why is your mortgage deductible? Who said that? What? What? Why your credit cards used to be rent deductible, isn't. but your rent isn't? Um, right? Why? Why is that? Well, that's social engineering. So anytime they come up with a new tax proposal, I always always ask myself, what are the unintended consequences that I'm not even – and then you think about it. How is this going to be good or bad for the economy over the long term?
1: Yep. Well – it's, where we it's good thing to think about next time. When he's, he's, they're going to come back up again. The wealth tax is going to come back up. All that stuff's going to come back. Anyway, let's take, go to the calls here. Take some calls. We're in California talking with Tom. Tom, you're with Allworth's Money Matters.
0: Hi, Scott and Pat.
1: Hey, Tom. What How are you we, doing? Good. What can we do for you?
0: Um, thanks for taking my call. Our pleasure. Um, I just filed my 2022 taxes and ran into a little problem. I'm hoping you guys can uh, help me out or at least point me in the right direction. Okay. Um, And you may have listeners in your audience that this applies to as well. Um, So going back a few years, when I had a mortgage on my house, I used a tax accountant to prepare my returns. And after paying off the house, I switched to using TurboTax because I didn't itemize again. Okay. And, you know, I was using you know standard deductions, yep. and it works fine if you take the standard deductions and don't itemize. Well, after COVID and after the tax laws started to change a lot, um, in two of the last three years, I've had trouble with the Fed and state returns being rejected back to me for rework through TurboTax. Wow. And these are still—they're still really straightforward returns, but what I kind don't of have enough expertise. Well, um, this this last one was a, a miscall on my team's part, where we uh, we put uh, too much into a four hundred one k and an individual IRA, so it was over a limit. Now how much I'm did you put in? Age, yeah, I'm at the age where I can make uh makeup contributions. So I I uh, I had like 15% in my 401k and I I put 7 in my uh, individual IRA and 7 in my wife's IRA.
2: What's your income?
0: Eh, about 130. And uh, see, it, it should have been safe. That's right. And uh, I don't know why that it, I
2: don't I don't know why that would be flagged. You didn't and, do anything and wrong there. I don't
0: understand it either. And so, kind of, here's coming to my question: is you know I, I'm tired of getting these things rejected and not really having a source to go to. Once you kind of sign up for TurboTax, you're you kind of getting a robot. Doing your tax.
1: That's right, you that's right.
0: put in the information and it
1: just spits it back. And you don't know the questions to ask. And I mean,
0: I don't know they, they, they ask, ask a lot
2: of
1: questions in fairness, right? They, they,
2: so. they ask that's foreign income, true. all kinds of questions, esoteric oftentimes.
1: That's I, right. Yeah, but, I don't understand you know, why you're... Ha- not specific.
0: They aren't specific about why they got kicked. They're very vague. So I have to do... Three and four rounds of reworking the
1: taxes from scratch.
0: So and
1: yeah. So 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 here's yeah here's here's how I avoid that. Yeah, I've had uh, someone do my taxes since I was in college. In college, I hired. I remember I hired my professor because he had a tax business on the side to do my taxes. I had a little tree tree trimming business, Uh, and Uh so but and I've hired someone to do my taxes, and I. I've got a degree in finance. I took a course in income tax, but the challenge is like if, and I've, there's been correspondence with the IRS over the years on a variety of things like that. That's the last thing I want to deal with is dealing with figuring out how to deal with the IRS. I'd rather have someone, and oftentimes these accountants had spent time as an agent with the IRS. They know how to, they know the system. So what might take me six hours might take them six minutes exactly
2: <laughs> yeah so there's nothing that you said that, that would would think me cause me to think that your uh, tax return should be rejected nothing I and agree. i agree with <laughs> yeah. i the, so my wife who is an accountant by education and my daughter just did their taxes my daughter's taxes together
1: and my kids used uh, turbo tax or something along those lines and i was actually proud of them my, my old, adult kids 27 25 they both did their taxes without even talking to me and completed in them yeah. themselves and yeah like maybe they're they, actually yeah. growing up a little
2: <laughs> the
0: well know? that's the hope isn't it <laughs> well, I, don't
2: know. I don't know um i i i would just bring it down to a little local shop and pay the three or four hundred bucks and uh you know just that's you know okay. or or try something different than TurboTax. there's a bunch of software yeah. programs out there
0: there are other software programs and uh you know, I said two of the last three years I've I've gotten them kicked through TurboTax, but in between year I tried H and R block and I felt like they really didn't get enough information from me. Well <laughs> still I'm not gonna, I don't
1: wanna make any comments about any tax companies, but let me just state yeah, there I, are some tax com- there are tax companies that will literally hire people in the fall, train them. On income taxes and have them work the tax season, helping people do their taxes. So, um, okay. I, if I were shopping for, and if I were you shopping for an accountant, I I definitely wouldn't want to go to the major one of the big four accounting firms because <laughs> uh, they'll right. They might not even want to take you, and if they did, they cost you a fortune. Uh, and I wouldn't wow. want to want to go to one of the lower end ones when there's someone dressed up a patriotic costume on the corner. I would probably. <laughs> I would probably. <laughs> I would probably look for um, uh, someone in my community a a, a local c p a that two or three or four accountants all have a business together that's the kind of firm I would look for
0: yes i and I tried that and I got the uh the the things that they weren't interested in my taxes because i just don't have enough going on well you do they now i like do itemized well apparently now yeah, yeah i want to prevent this from happening
2: i, I understand <laughs> and we have no idea why it happened so i would and and quite frankly you felt that the people at h&r didn't ask you many questions There are not many questions yours is pretty
0: straightforward <laughs> right. There are not a lot of questions you didn't have yeah, multiple employers sure did you be- no,
1: I didn't. Okay, because sometimes you and, can exceed uh, the 401k limits if you contribute to employers. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and the problem with this past year was we did make a bad call on over-sheltering money. I, I had money that came in, and I wanted to shelter it, so I put it in uh, traditional IRAs. And apparently, I went over some limit. And,
1: well, then, okay, now there's new information you just threw away.
0: Well... I don't. I don't have access to that. I thought we were safe. Well,
1: you uh, contributed to anyways. an I. You contributed to an IRA. Yep. When your When your income was too high. Unless it was a non deductible IRA.
0: Is that, or is that, or did I actually shelter too much in the four hundred and one k? It doesn't sound no, like I, I you, you said
1: fifteen percent. so guess, that doesn't sound like it. My yeah. guess. My guess is something. My guess is something. So I hate to say it, Tom. My guess is there's something on your end that that wasn't quite correct, and that's what happened. But I'd, I'd hire I'd hire a, a good CPA that uh, at, at a kind of medium-sized firm, and I think it'd be well served. All right. Well, we're this is the end of our program. Unfortunately, the time always seems a little like awfully quick. But anyway, it's been great having everyone with you. We appreciate the program. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. And hey, everyone, enjoy your Fourth uh, of July. See you next week.